0: on Saturday mornings when our kids were really young they used to wake up early and we'd try to sleep in but they eventually would all make their way into our bedroom and try to pile on all four of our kids would try to pile on our little queen bed that we had at the time and what started out as sweet cuddle time as one or two of them would come in would quickly turn into a WWE cage match What would end up happening almost every time is one kid had a hard time getting up on the bed because while my wife and I were trying to squirm and worm around to make room for everybody, uh, the siblings weren't so accommodating. Uh, They would, you know, stick their legs out and kick and not let them get on uh, because they got their space. They were in and they were good with it and they were okay with their sibling being out. And inevitably, the one that got left out would throw a fit and would just go ballistic about it. And so we would have to try to move everybody and try to get them on the bed with us. Some of you have lived this day and lived this morning. And what we noticed was our little ones felt like if they couldn't get on the bed, they really weren't feeling a part of the family, that they felt rejected even in that simple symbol of just being on the bed with us. And what is true about the way that our family dynamics work and the little things that make us feel a part of the family, make us feel accepted or make us feel rejected, make us feel in or make us feel like we're out, is actually true about a lot of what we experience in life and relationships. See, because most of us have had those moments In fact, just by me mentioning a few examples, it might bring back some emotions that flare up. Like the time you tried out for the team and you worked really hard and you did not make it, you got cut. Or the time uh, that you got interviewed for that dream job and you thought, I'm a shoe in In fact, I might be overqualified and yet you never got that call back. Instead, you got a rejection letter and you didn't get it and you felt rejected and it stung it hurt deeply. Or maybe in eighth grade, you asked that girl to the dance and she said no. And it took everything that you had to muster up the courage to make that long distance phone call. This happened to me. This is why it's very personal. But we all know what it's like to be out and to feel rejected. And it's it's rough and it stings. It's very emotional and it makes us hesitant to wanna take risks and make new relationships. At the same time, we all know what it feels like to be accepted. We all know the joy and the elation that we have when we make it in to the group or get that dream job or get in that neighborhood, get that house. We are invited in. I can remember when we lived in Colorado, uh, I met a guy at the church who was a season ticket holder to the Denver Broncos. And he told me, he goes, have you ever been to an NFL game? And at that time I said, no, I've never been to an NFL game. And he goes, well, let me know if you ever want to go because I'm a season ticket holder and I would love to bring you. And I'm like, you had me at hello. I want to go to an NFL game. Like I would love to go. And I didn't expect to hear him until like later in the season when the games didn't matter. He calls me up right away and he says, listen, my wife's not going to the game. You want to go to the game? I'm like, yes, I want to go to the game. So I'm super excited going to Mile High Stadium, the old one. And so I, I get in the car with him and we're going, and it's a Monday night football game. And it is not a preseason junk game. It is like the opening Monday night football game of the season for the NFL. So it is a huge game and the crowd's electric and the stadium's shaken. And not only is it the opening NFL game on a Monday night football game? It was the night they retired John Elway's jersey. Yeah, I know some of you guys are like, oh yeah, you know. You're like, hey guys, I was there. <laughs> so I'm on my cell phone. It's like the first time I ever had a cell phone. I'm on my cell phone calling everybody back home in Indiana. And you're like, turn on your TV. I'm in the stadium. I'm at the game. You can't believe it. Listen to the crowd. Like as if they're gonna see me, you know, like with 60,000 other people. But I was so excited because I was so in in that moment. I was a part of what was happening. Was I a Broncos fan? No. But I got caught up in the whole thing. Was I a John Elway fan? Eh, not really. I'm a Peyton Manning guy. But, you know, it was just like, man, just to be there, to be in, to be invited, to be a part of it felt so amazing, so special that I'm bragging about it 20 years later to you all. It was incredible. See, We have always struggled with this, with our dynamics in the way that church works, of who's in and who's out, who feels rejected and who feels accepted. See, we know this truth throughout our lives, and you don't even have to know much about Jesus or faith to have experienced this in life and love and relationships. Being out is awful, but being in is amazing. Being out is awful, but being in is amazing. I think this is one of the dynamics of why people have a hard time sometimes calling church family. That The scriptures describe it as the family of God, that we'd like to endearingly call it the family of God. And those of us who are in would say, Yes, it feels like family, but those who are out or might've had some rejection kind of experiences would have a hard time wanting to call it that. Well, in my church that I grew up in, I grew up in Colfax Christian Church, the same church that my great grandparents went to. I was in, okay, from the time I was born because of the family depth and relationships. But some of you grew up in a church like I grew up in and you knew you were in, and this is how you knew you were in. If you got your picture in the church directory, you knew you were in. This is how in I was. All of our family photos, Olin Mills, came to do the directory every three to four years. That's 1979. I'm that old. So some of you know I'm that young to some of you, okay? So it's it's a both and here. Yeah, that's me in case you were wondering. See, the church has always struggled with this since the beginning and the birth of the church in the book of Acts. See, the church has struggled with this. This is why Paul writes so much to Jews and Gentiles, trying to explain to them, listen, I know this is hard, I know this is different, but we're trying to be family. We're trying to do something that the gospel has instructed us to do. We're trying to live the way that Jesus has asked us to live and modeled for us to live but the church has really struggled with being exclusive. And this is one of the biggest issues that the church still faces today. It hasn't stopped being a struggle. So if you're able to, let's open up the word and look at Romans 15, would you please stand in honor of reading of the God's word. Romans 15, starting with verse one. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives us endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that... With one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews and on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it's written, "'Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. "'I will sing the praises of your name.'" Again, it says, "'Rejoice you Gentiles with his people.'" Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, "'The root of Jesse will spring up, "'and one who will rise to rule over the nations. "'In him the Gentiles will hope.'" May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.'" so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of His word. Chapter 14 and 15 really do go together in one complete thought. So this is like a part two to Pastor Matt's sermon from last week in Romans 14. Because as Paul was talking about unity and the issues of the Jews and Gentiles and of them trying to become one church, one family, Like Matt said last week, he gave us a little bit more context to explain that the Jews had been kicked out of the city of Rome for at least to five years, and now they're migrating back to the city. And so you can imagine these two groups that from the beginning were having a hard time relating with one another, connecting with one another, being on the same page with one another. Now they've had five years of relationship separation, and now they're coming back together, and now they're supposed to be family again. You can imagine how difficult this is. Some of you understand what this feels like because maybe your kids have moved out and life was good and then they moved back in and you're like, okay, this is really harder than it was the first time when we had them here at our house. And you understand the difference and difficulty that these relationships can bring. Like Matt said last week, they had very different opinions and preferences and dietary laws that the Jews would follow that the Gentiles thought were just bizarre. They didn't understand why they couldn't eat bacon. Most of us would be like, yeah, that's nuts. Why can't you eat bacon? Like, Are you serious? Thank God I'm not a Jew. But they, they just had all these religious differences that if you were a Jewish Christian, you grew up in a certain system, but if you were a Gentile Christian, you did not. And so it was hard for them to reconcile this, which Matt brought this one awesome line when he said, in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things, charity. And this has been a great guiding principle as we discern what are the most important things about the gospel message of Jesus that we all agree to. And then what are the things that it's okay to disagree, but we can still be friends and family. In essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things, charity. So we're gonna break down Romans 15, one through about 21. We're gonna look at this verse by verse and we're gonna apply it to our personal relationships and how this works for you and me day to day with the people we're trying to do life with. So let's look at Romans 15:1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And so Paul uh, is saying right off the bat, like, I get it. Uh, some of us think that we have the upper hand, we who are strong, we who understand the scriptures better or who are more mature. Who do you think related to this? The Jews or the Gentiles? Probably both of them were like, yeah, I know, Paul, we're the strong group. You know, we're the ones who are the mature ones. But then he adds this line. So you're the ones who ought not to try to please yourselves. So if you claim to be the mature one, you're the one that ought to bear the burden of the relationship and take the hits on this personal preference issue and selflessly lay it aside. And so verse two, he follows this up. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Not only are you to lay down your personal preferences, you ought to take the first step, take the initiative. You need to make the first move to try to make this relationship work. And that's a very hard ask. You gotta be proactive, not passive. And so in verse three, he starts to give an example of how Jesus did this. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. This is Paul referring to, do you remember what Jesus did for us on the cross? Do you remember how he fulfilled all of the Old Testament scriptures and personified this verse? That he took All of this shame, all this guilt, all the insults, he took it all on himself. Not because it was a happy, good time, but because that's what it took to lay down his life for our sake. And you have to live sacrificially for relationships to work. Jesus went to great lengths to make us in and a part of the family. So Paul is saying, we have to take great lengths get uncomfortable to make one another feel in and a part of the family. So verse four, he goes on to plead his case for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. It's Paul's way of saying, listen, all the scriptures have been talking about this way of life and this way of love since the very beginning. That Jesus fulfilled all of this, that the scriptures have always taught: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That that has been a consistent thread and theme throughout the Old Testament. That the way of Jesus is worth our selfless and sacrificial efforts. Don't give up on the way of Jesus' life and love, his approach. So in verses five and six, Paul goes on. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, he's he's saying, do you understand what's at stake here? Like, it takes endurance. It takes encouragement. It takes real effort. Because the life that reflects Jesus is a life that is glorifying to God. That the more that we can get good at this, the more it reflects that we are actually the body of Christ. See, the world, if they wanna see who Jesus is and see what he's like, they're gonna look to his followers and go, oh, is that what Jesus is like? And if we follow the way of Jesus and the way of love that Jesus modeled for us, then they will see a very accurate picture of, oh, I like that Jesus and I want to be a part of that family. I want to be in with that group, which gives glory to God. If we can become that kind of church family, which Paul is trying to encourage the Jews and Gentiles to become, that he's also encouraging us to become. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is for everybody looking in. And so it leads us to kind of the money verse of the whole chapter in verse seven. Because verse seven, this, this is the punch. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This is Paul's way of saying, have you forgotten how out you were but by the grace of God? We were once so far out, we don't even know how far out we really were especially for those of us who might've been born and raised in a church. But because of what Jesus has done, we are all invited in. It wasn't that we were so special when we got invited in. It wasn't like we were the all-star person that God said, oh man, I gotta pick him, number one draft pick to be on my team. No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On our worst day, God looked at us and said, Yeah, it's worth sending my son to die for them. I love them. I'm gonna show my grace and mercy to them. There wasn't anything impressive. You didn't give God your resume and he goes, oh, look at that, I gotta have them. No, our resumes were full of sin. Anything we had to offer God was horrible. It's what took his son to the cross. We weren't so special when we got invited in. That's why it's so amazing what God has done for all of us. Because of how in Jesus makes us feel and has invited us into, this is how we ought to approach other people in accepting others. But here's the hard reality for those of us who have been in for a season or two. The longer you are in, the harder it is to remember what it was like being out the longer you are in, the harder it is to remember what it was like being out. Which the church isn't even that old in the book of Romans. And Paul is happened to say this to them after just a few years of them being in. He's saying, hey listen, you're already starting to forget how out you were. You're already starting to forget why we are proclaiming this kind of message and how in Jesus wants everybody to be. Because the longer you're in, your vision and your focus tends to stay in. Because if you're in, you tend to feel superior to those who are out. We're all this way because we made it in and maybe they don't deserve to be in and so we feel a little bit better. But we're forgetting that we were once outsiders. And when we give the impression, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that people need to get their act together before they can be loved and accepted by us or by Jesus, we are forgetting woefully forgetting how out we were because we didn't get in because of our goodness. We didn't get in because we had the right political views. We didn't get in because of the family we were born into. We only got in because of what Jesus did. We tend to forget that being out is awful and being in is amazing. In the rest of Romans from verses eight to 33, Paul quotes the Old Testament scriptures. And he does something that no one else does in the New Testament writers. This is really cool. And if you're a Bible student, you're really going to love this because it's not so obvious just when you read the text. But Paul picks three sections of the Old Testament in order to kind of prove his case that God has always been this way. And Jesus came to fulfill everything in the Old Testament. And so Paul quotes from the Old Testament, from the law, from the prophets, and from the wisdom literature, the three sections of the Hebrew scriptures. And this was his way of letting the Jewish audience know like, hey, I'm going to explain to you through all of the different Hebrew scriptures and different sections that we hold dear, that this is the way God has always been and how he has always set it up. So we're going to start in verse eight. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. So this is his way of starting out his argument saying, hey, when you look back at the promises to the fathers of our faith, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, when you look back to the promises through the prophets like Isaiah, when you look back on that, Jesus fulfilled everything that they hoped for. Jesus personified all of that. He lived that out and he's invited us into that way of doing life together. So in verse nine, he continues on. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, he's gonna use this word Gentiles many, many times throughout this passage because he's gonna quote Old Testament scriptures that use the word Gentiles. We could substitute the word Gentile with the word outsiders, Because that's how they were viewed. If you weren't Jewish, you were an outsider. You were a Gentile. You were not a part of our group. You weren't in like we were in. And so, moreover, that the outsiders might glorify God for his mercy. Like, this is a strong message to them. Like, hey, do you realize that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but for everyone? that this wasn't just a new thing with Jesus, that this was what Abraham, Moses, David, and the prophets of old all talked about, that God desired to make himself known through the Jewish people so that everyone could come to faith. And so he goes on and he quotes, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name Another way of saying, I will praise you among the outsiders and I will sing the praises of your name. Again, and he's quoting Deuteronomy 32, rejoice you Gentiles, like rejoice you outsiders with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise the Lord, all you outsiders. Let all the peoples extol him as he quotes Psalm 117. And again, Isaiah says, he's quoting Isaiah in case you didn't catch that. The root of Jesse, Jesus, will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles, the outsiders, will hope. So he's laying out his case, he's explaining to them, listen, this is a really hard thing to do, but this has been the heart of God from the very beginning. That this has been a part of God's plan to do something that no other groups are even trying to do. Because, He's trying to bring all these different groups together under the one name of Jesus Christ. This is hard. This is extraordinarily difficult. Just ask any family that's a blended family that's tried to bring two families together how hard this is. Just ask any parent who has a teenager how hard it is to be on the same page. It's our human sinful nature to want things a certain way for our personal preferences, our self-interest, our own comfort. It is a hard thing, church, to bring boomers and millennials together. Very hard. It's a hard thing to bring different ethnic groups together. So Paul reminds us that God has equipped us with a unique power to combat this selfish human nature, this sinful nature. Verse 13, he explains this. May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Paul's way of explaining, listen, Is it humanly possible for you to do what Jesus has done and live sacrificially and live selflessly and to come together as one group? Is it humanly possible? This is basically Paul saying, honestly, on your own will and determination, it is impossible. You will not be able to do it. It is unnatural. You probably don't have it. In fact, he's saying you don't have what it takes in order to make this happen. Unless you trust in him with the hope and power of the Holy Spirit. You have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to have this kind of heart transformation to be like Jesus and to love like Jesus and to follow his way of life. In order for us to really experience unity, to really come together as one in a way that is unnatural, to bring together different ethnic groups, to bring together different generations, to bring together that do not, people who do not have the same personal preferences. It would take an act of God, which is why Jesus in John 17 prays, God, I pray that they be one as you and I are one so that the world may know that I am the one that you have sent. And not just for this generation, but for all those who are gonna come behind me and believe. It's the longest recorded prayer right before Jesus went to the cross. Because he knew that if the world is really going to see the kind of loving God that I am and the kind of accepting God that I am, and if we're going to be that kind of family, God, you're going to have to do a mighty work in them through the power of your Spirit. And this is how Paul is unpacking how it works and how it's going to be used. If we're going to be a united church family that glorifies God that looks most like Jesus... We have to have the Spirit of God working in us. I think this is one of the reasons Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5. Keep in step with the Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you're going to live like Jesus and look like Jesus and become a unified family in the name of Jesus, you have to keep and step with the Holy Spirit. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to trust in God the same way you trusted him for salvation when you first came to him in his grace and his mercy and accepted salvation. You have to keep coming to him for sanctification, for transformation, for him to fill you up with the Holy Spirit. So when you feel the tension inside of you of not wanting to accept someone, That is the moment you have to lean into God and say, God, I need you to empower me by your Holy Spirit because I am struggling to want to love this person. And Paul says, he will. He will empower you to do the supernatural thing, to love like Jesus loved. So he goes on. In verses 15, 14, verse 14, he says, I myself am convinced my brothers and sisters that you yourselves are full of goodness with, with filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. This is Paul's way of saying, I know I'm reminding you of things you've already heard before and you've already gotten a taste of, you've already experienced these things. And so in verse 15, he, he says this, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Like, this is hard. It's hard for me to want to tell you this. It's hard for me to speak like this because this is a hard ask, but this is what it means to be gospel community. This is hard to hear because of the grace God gave to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, to the outsiders. And he goes on in verse 16. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, we can't forget that Jesus came to welcome outsiders. And so he goes on. Therefore, because of all of this, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Like, it's hard but it is so worth it because when we get this right, when we live by the spirit and love like Jesus, it's incredible what this does to change the world. So in verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Like it is awesome. When people come to know Jesus, it is a supernatural work of God by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to illyricum I knew I was gonna butcher that one, Northwest Greece, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So I'm going to people who were far from God so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, and he points back to the Old Testament again, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. The very people who are so far, far from God that you think would never accept the message of Jesus, if, if you let the Spirit of God work through you, and you live out this gospel community in life, and if you could come together and reflect the love of Jesus together, people who you never expect to accept Jesus will be so attracted to that that they will want to come and it'll shock you and it'll surprise you and we can't forget our mission to change the lives in the name of Jesus to impact lives one life one family one opportunity at a time we can't forget John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We can't forget what Matt already quoted during communion in Luke nineteen ten. that the son of man, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came for the outsiders. He came for those who didn't know yet. So how do we do this? Here's some practical steps that help you keep in step with the Spirit, that help the Holy Spirit work in your life, that are tangible things that you can do to put yourself in a position for God to work in his grace on your heart through the Holy Spirit. So here's some next steps to grow in the selfless way of Jesus. And it's four words, start, stop, stay, and go. And they come with four questions. Start. Is there something I should start doing? And this is a prayer between you and God. God, is there something I should start doing? Let me give you an example of how simple this is. If you wanna grow your heart towards a selfless way, the way of Jesus, then you have to start serving other people. You have to be other people driven and other people centered, not self-centered. One of the simplest things you can do is to serve as a volunteer on a team, whether it be children's ministry, welcome team, impact center, student ministry, production team, like take a simple step. And a lot of you are doing that and God uses that step of faith and starts to change your heart. It doesn't have to be for Mount Pleasant, it could be anywhere in the community, but go serve. That's the life Jesus has invited you to and it will start to change your heart and grow your heart towards people. The other one is stop. Is there something I should stop doing? Like should I stop exclusively engaging with people who look like me, think like me, have all the same views as me? Maybe I should engage with someone from a different generation. Maybe I should engage with someone from a different ethnic group. Maybe I should get outside of just my people in my comfort zone and actually start to talk to someone who doesn't look like me or doesn't think like me? Is there something I should stop doing in order for God to do a work in me that takes a step of faith? Stay, is there someone God has right in front of me that I need to connect with? Do I need to just kinda stay where I'm at, pay attention? And God has already brought someone in my path. At school, at the ball field, in the neighborhood, at work, or even here at church, have you ever felt that little prompting like maybe I should say hello? Maybe that's the Holy Spirit asking you to take a step to develop a friendship, maybe discover a story. Lean into that, don't ignore that. Lean into it, step into it. Or maybe go is what some of you need to do because this is a bigger, bolder step I think. Is there somewhere God wants me to go? Do I need to take a bold step because I've done some of these things but I still need to grow my heart I need to grow in this area so maybe for you it's to take a global mission trip Maybe for you you need to be stretched and be in an entirely different environment where you are the minority where you can experience man they don't even speak my language I really feel out here and now I get to experience what people feel when they're the minority and I'm, now I'm experiencing what it's like to be out. And God uses that to change your heart towards people. And now you start to see the world differently. Now you start to see what God sees and it grows your heart to love people like Jesus. See, when my oldest daughter, when she was about six years old, she joined a softball team It was a rec league. They called themselves the Purple Pizzazz. You know, this is the kind of league that they're more concerned about the way that they look on the field than actually how they play. And there was a girl who was a classmate of hers named Savannah, um, is one of the few people that we knew. And Savannah's mom, Carrie, was there. And my wife is just uh, such a stealthy, phenomenal evangelist. She's so good at building relationships. And she noticed really quick, that Carrie was sitting alone at practices or at games, and we kind of have a rule in our family, like no one sits alone, kind of kind of drivenness. Like, man, if you see someone sitting alone, you, you want to go sit with them and start to build a friendship and let them know, hey, I, I see you there. I'm paying attention. And so every game, every practice, my wife would go and sit with Carrie, and she started to build a friendship we found out Carrie was a single mom. We found out as we discovered her story, she had a pretty rough story. We found out that she was not a part of a church, did not grow up in the church, did not have a faith relationship with Jesus. And the more we got to know Carrie, our hearts grew towards Carrie to where the kids would go to each other's birthday parties. And eventually it led to this moment at the end of the season, season was over. So how are we gonna continue this relationship with Carrie? Cause softball season's over. Well, We invited her to church on Easter Sunday, and she did something we never thought she would do. She actually said yes and showed up. It shocked us, because we thought, man, she's the last person on that softball field of all those parents who would have said yes to that invitation, but she actually said yes. And not only that, after she heard that Easter message of the gospel of Jesus, she didn't just say yes to showing up, she actually said yes to Jesus that day. Blew us away. We couldn't believe it because she was one of the last people we thought would wanna be a part of that group, would wanna be in and accept Jesus. Well, we had no idea that just six months later she was gonna get diagnosed with cancer. And she wasn't even able to come to the next Easter because a few months after that, she passed away. That was a tough funeral, but we were able to, because of that friendship, proclaim the gospel to two or 300 of her friends and her family They were also far from God. And even a few of them crossed the line of faith, church. There's too much at stake for us to stay comfortable, to be driven by personal preferences, to not wanna reach the next generation, to not wanna reach people that need Jesus, that need to know there's a God who loves them, that there's a church family who loves them and will accept them, that they are welcome here. That's the heart of Jesus. That takes a work of the Holy Spirit And we've got to let God make us into that kind of church so that we can let the world know about this great God who loves us so much to be that kind of unified church family under the name of Jesus.